This episode is brought to you by the Jewelry Institute of America. Learn optical diamond setting and hand engraving in our new location, conveniently located in Houston, Texas. Check out our courses online at the Jewelry Institute of America. Friends, engravers, want to work on belt buckles but don't have the time, space, or ability to make your own? Well, you're in luck. J. Martin Bitten Spurs is standing by to take your order for high-quality, custom-made blank belt buckles. This is a service I've long wished for, and now it's a reality. Order your buckle today by getting in touch with J. Martin Bitten Spurs on Instagram. Tell them Wade sent you. Welcome to the Hand Engraving Podcast, the world's greatest podcast dedicated to the art and artists of hand engraving. I'm your host, Wade Oliver Wilson, Master Engraver. Greetings and salutations, my dear friends. I'm so glad to be here with you today. I have a great show for you. We'll be hearing from Mr. Yuri Tuckman about his wonderful YouTube videos and his journey as an engraver and artist. In the news this week, we are noting the passing of a great engraver, Mr. Firmo Fracassi, a man who has influenced engravers all over the world. I had asked uh, the Fega historian, Mr. Roger Bliley, to come on the show and tell us a little about Fermo and his work, but uh, Roger came on and told me so much, and it was so interesting, that uh, I decided that I couldn't edit it down and release it in the news section, and instead I will release my conversation with Roger next Wednesday as a celebration of the life of Mr. Fracassi. For now, I will tell you that the engraving world has lost one of its true masters. Mr. Fracassi was instrumental in the rise of popularity of Bulino engraving. His work is regarded as amongst the very best in the field. Working in Italy, Fracassi's engraving can be found on the world's finest firearms and knives. He worked with his daughter Francesca. There is a great book called Fermo and Francesca Fracassi Master Engravers and it is a must-have for any engraver's library. I extend my condolences to the Fracassi family as they go through this hard time. To Signore Fracassi, we salute your greatness, and we thank you for inspiring so many of us to strive for the heights you reached with your art. May you rest in peace. Now, for today's interview, we go back to Europe, Berlin to be exact, and we speak to Mr. Yuri Tuchman. I hope that you'll familiarize yourself with his YouTube videos. I think there's a lot of great information in his episodes that you all find useful. And now I present to you my conversation with Yuri Tuchman. Um, no, I don't think so. I think I'm ready. Okay. Well, folks, today it's a real treat for me. This is something I've been waiting for for a long time. Uh, this man is, is my very favorite YouTube personality. Uh, to say that he is an engraver is is not really fair to him because he gets into all sorts of things. He's a metal worker, a woodworker, a painter, an engraver, a sculptor, etc., etc., etc. And in all those things, he brings in a lot of humor. And as a matter of fact, his videos were one of the uh, inspirations for me to make this podcast. And so without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Mr. Yuri Tuchman. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, thank you for having me. And I didn't know at all about the thing about the video that got you started on the podcast. That's really uh, surprising to me. <laughs> oh, well, uh, if, if people haven't seen your videos before, uh, I would say that they are better than any book when it comes to how-to However, there's not a lot of description in the videos. You have to really watch and look, and you can see in any given video, no matter what it's about, you're going to see five or six different uh, forms of work, and you can see how they're done. And I, and like I said, and every one of them has really, really funny stuff in it. And 
and that's part, and I'm actually trying to bring more humor into my show. I've, uh, you know, being, I'm a full-time engraver and I feel like there's not enough humor in engraver engraving. And, uh, I really appreciate you not taking everything so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I, I have to, there's no, uh, this is my, uh, putting humor is, well, I don't know. It's sometimes uh, humor has come naturally because of who I am and what I do. But sometimes humor gives uh, the things that, that I do more depth in a way. I don't know. It kind of sounds weird, but uh, uh, maybe I don't want to uh, uh, give myself a bad rap or anything. But sometimes giving humor uh, to a piece, specifically in the piece itself, like engraving something weird in the in the metal or something like that, is a, kind of, I would say, a lazy way to put something interesting in the piece, for me at least. You know, because <laughs> sometimes like putting something that has a really high conceptual meaning to it is is harder, <laughs> you know, right. if you know what I'm saying. So I listed off all the different things that I, I watch your videos for, but... To call you any of those things, a metal worker or a woodworker, I mean, really, you're just an artist. And I, I think, con, like you just said, conceptual. I think you are a conceptual artist, particularly if the listeners today will go and look at your YouTube videos. And there's a video about um, making a pair of scissors that if you use them, they'll cut your own finger off. Or uh, making an automaton that all it does is tap its finger on the table. And all these things that, that seem like... Uh, not waste of time, but uh, mm, frivolity maybe. But if you watch them and you see the craftsmanship in it, and you and you see the and you take the lessons that that uh, you are actually putting into the videos, I think it's it's really a great thing. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> so, so let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, your name is uh, Yuri Tuchman, and you are in Germany, and. Uh, that's right. And I don't know how old you are. You don't. You don't seem particularly old. Uh, how long have you been been at this? How long have uh, you been an artist? Uh, well, I, I would separate it into two parts, I guess. I started YouTube together with my handcrafting uh, practices. So. Basically, I started YouTube in the first video. You can see I have literally nothing in the shop. Uh, I have a bench table, a bed, like a workbench and uh, some files and a hammer. And I tried to work with that. Uh, before that, I was a straight-up uh, classical artist. I tried to make it in the art world, uh, doing exhibitions, galleries, things like that. Uh, I did have an... Ex uh, during my studies, I worked a lot in a full-on equipped workshop, which I used mostly power tools for wood stuff and things like that. But the things you see on YouTube are kind of, I started the, uh, like half a year before I started recording these videos. So really started working with metal in small, precise ways and uh, uh, starting engraving things like, uh, in the, basically in those style. Is uh, was a, a few years ago. I see. Um, yeah. So before that, I was yeah. I I, I did make some sculptures and things all, uh, on, in those lines, but uh, I painted mostly, uh, and I made a few kind of I don't know how would you call them. I wouldn't call them furniture, like a snooker table. I once made like a billiard table. Oh, really? That big, uh, huh? And <laughs> well, it's a smaller sizes, not the 12 uh, feet, original 12 feet snooker table, but uh, a smaller size, like uh, around two meters. So that would be, I don't know, six, seven feet? About seven feet. Yeah, that's still pretty large. So Yeah, yeah, it was big, but it was made out of scrap wood and <laughs> junk oh, that I, I found. In I see. The, anyway. Uh, and did and did you go to university to become a painter or or what has your career path been like? Yeah, I made uh, uh, I took a bachelor in uh, fine arts and I the 
Uh, it was uh, in Jerusalem, where I was born, and so uh, it's not very much, it's Bezalel uh, School of Art, it's called, and it's not specifically for painting, it's uh, for general art uh, in Bezalel, the fine art department is very much uh, concentrated on conceptual art and uh, uh, more of the thought process and things along those lines, more about critiques and you can really make whatever you want. There are some paint courses and sculpture courses, but more often than not, it's more conceptual and you you just use the medium that suits your needs at the, at the, at the point. I see. Uh, that, uh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that you were born in, in Jeru- uh, Jerusalem, and that explains to me why, even though you live in Berlin, in every one of your videos, you speak English, and, I mean, speak it very clearly like someone that, that that's not a second language <laughs> to clear, or is something that you've spoken all your life, because, you, you know, you're very understandable and uh, very good at it. So, that explains that. Uh, the re- some people might be wondering why I seem so taken aback. It's because I, like I was telling you before we started recording, I only know about you what I've seen in your videos. I even looked online to, to get a little more information, and I and I didn't find anything particularly useful. So I'm learning it at the same time that everybody else is learning it. Okay, uh, yeah, there, there's not in the videos. I think I don't ever mention it. Uh, I think maybe in my website it's written somewhere there that I work and live in Berlin, but maybe in the portfolio it says I'm born in Jerusalem. I don't remember. Yeah, there's not too much information. I mean, I guess you can find some biography somewhere online about me, maybe, but it's mostly going to be the BA in Bezalel and some exhibitions and galleries and things along those lines. You're a very mysterious uh, artist. <laughs> did you go to Germany to follow your your art passions, or did did something else bring you there? Uh, in a way, I, I moved to Germany with my wife. She's German. Okay. And uh, also I went because uh, it's much nicer. Well, it's much more convenient here in Germany than in Jerusalem. In Israel, it can be uh, quite a hassle. Back when I was, uh, before I moved to, t- uh, to Berlin, Berlin, I lived in Tel Aviv. And uh, I basically worked 24-7 in, uh, as a chef in a kitchen oh, really? to pay the bills. And I had no time at all for making art. So I decided to move to Berlin. And uh, things started to change. What type <laughs> of cuisine? What, what type of cuisine were you making? Uh, so you can call it a fusion. I know it's a little bit of a dirty word uh, to say fusion. <laughs> well, you but, notice I haven't uh, brought up the, the name maker yet. I haven't called you a maker yet. <laughs> <laughs> maker is fine. I think maker maker is, is totally. It, if you well, it's a little bit of a tangent now, but maker. I think is one of the better terms for online creators or whatever. So content creator or influencer, for instance, influencer I think is much harsher word than maker. Maker, I, I think would you're right. Yeah. Take any day of the week. Yeah, that's that is better. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to the kitchen. The I worked with the. So it wasn't my uh, menu or recipes. Uh, I worked with another guy, and he was responsible for the uh, write the menu of the. It's not really a restaurant; it's kind of like mixed between a bistro and a bar and a cafe. It's kind of a, a little bit faster than a restaurant, maybe. Okay. Um, but it is definitely Oriental Israeli food uh, mixed, and there's a little bit of, of European influence, of course, because uh, like sprinkled all around the the dishes, but mostly. Yeah, and being an artist, did you did you bring your your artistry to the to the food, or was it pretty straightforward? No, I don't think I brought a lot of artistry to the food. Maybe a little bit of plating. Is that how you say it in English? I, I think, think that I plating think is perfect. Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> so uh, maybe a little bit in the plating area where you have to be. To think aesthetically, yet also um, 
maintain the fact that it's going to be a food podcast now <laughs> at this point, right? <laughs> no, okay. But uh, there is a lot, uh, just to, to finalize it, uh, I, I think there's a lot in making a dish look right, yet still edible. You know what I mean? So if you make it too aesthetically pleasing, it can look too synthetic and artificial, and you really don't want that. Right, so I think that's where the art when plating uh, is about. You see, that's why I asked because I knew that you had thought about it. Yeah, but uh, anyway, I worked with another guy that he was like, he was already like in the business. He knows what he was, what he was doing. So we worked together. Okay, I give him a lot of credit. So you lived your early life in Israel, and then you moved to Germany. And uh, that's that's quite a change. What did you? What were your early impressions of uh, Berlin in particular? When you go to like for vacation in in Berlin, specifically in Berlin, not Germany, Berlin, you it, it really doesn't feel like a vacation. You just feel like you're living there for a little while because it's so. Which is also a, d- a downfall in a way because yes, there are exciting things to see in Berlin. But it's not the most beautiful city. You don't come here like you come to Venice or Paris, for instance. <laughs> right. You come here and you just you chill, you relax, you just do nothing. You go around, you, I don't know, drink a beer or something like that. That's what you you come in and you just straight up, straight away, you just live here. You merge into the city, and uh, and that's and living here is almost the same. You just you come, you find yourself a place and job you don't have to work so much because uh, well now it gets more expensive of course but uh, i don't know five seven years ago uh, you didn't have to do to work too much and you can still live pretty relaxing yeah i mean you do if you live with roommates then then yeah you don't need to pay so much but once you get your own apartment and things like that yeah you you need to start getting a real job and work uh, Five six days a week or whatever, right. but uh, the the last but it's time I, the last time I was there was two thousand and eight, uh, and the eastern section was just really starting to come to life. It was really becoming very arty, and uh, and like you said, it was it was fairly inexpensive to be over there, and it was very neat. Anyways, I was there in two thousand and eight. It was totally great. Uh, I loved the city. Uh, thought the museum island was wonderful. You can go to the museum and see. Uh, the literally see the gates of Babylon right there, and uh, the whole the whole city is a is just a landscape of art, whether it's graffiti or statues or or what have you. And the least interesting things to me were the the biggest tourist things like the Brandenburg Gate and the and the Reichstag and that sort of thing. I tend to agree. I mean, they're nice, uh, but uh... so um, everybody knows now your backstory. You grew up in Israel and have moved to Berlin and now you work as a painter or did you ever have to have a a normal job I was a cook only in Tel Aviv in Berlin I, I never worked as a cook anymore as a kind of a, in quotations immigrant in <laughs> Berlin even though I am German I, I have a citizenship from the get-go because of long story my grandmother was German Barra um, so I, uh, when I got here, I didn't know the language at all. So what they do is they give you like an integration, uh, money. Basically you can live off of the state for about a year while you learn the language and the customs to a degree, but more the language. So it's really was like an intense course of one year that every day you go and learn the language. So during this this time, I earned money uh, as a yeah, I don't know how you call it like a, like an unemployment sort of deal. That's it, yeah. And yeah, and then afterwards, uh, I stopped with that and I uh, finished this, the studies, and then I went to a little little bit of design work, uh, like Photoshop posters, doing stuff for. Um, yeah, for like dance studios and things like that. <laughs> but this wasn't great and it wasn't my thing. But uh, yeah, d- making money from art is very difficult and I'm really bad at uh, marketing myself. And uh, at some point after 
uh, nagging my wife that uh, I really like YouTube and I want to do something. She was like, okay, just buy a camera and do that already. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, you know what? I, I bought a cheap uh, Lumix camera and then uh, the rest is history. In a way, okay. <laughs> not that I'm still making a lot of money, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's my business, but, so to speak. But you, you're talking to people all over the world with your art. So that's worth something, isn't it? Oh, that's worth a lot. I'm, uh, it's worth a lot, but, uh, but, uh, at some point I, I need to, uh, no, I, I, you know, so I, I, for instance, I have Patreon, which helps me tremendously. It's amazing. And this really pays for making videos, but but yeah, it's uh, you know we're moving on in life, and there's more and more expensive, and <laughs> I need to start uh, uh, picking it up and and pay for uh, uh, that I can even have a shop, you know. So well, I think uh, I think a lot of my listeners are probably in the exact same position you are. We're all trying to figure out how to make a living off making our art. Yeah. So it's it's good to hear it's universal. Uh, so, yeah, for sure. So let's set the scene. Uh, in your very earliest videos, uh, it looks like you're living in an apartment, and it looks like maybe you've taken over, a, I'm guessing, a dining room. I don't know what. And like you said earlier, you just you start off with some very simple tools, saws and hammers and things. And uh, to me, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to point people to your videos is to show them how much they can accomplish with very basic tools. I think if people would go and look at your videos, they'd be surprised at what you're able to accomplish with, like I said earlier, not very many different tools, although you have built your own tools as you've gone. And uh, here's a here's some of my favorite videos. Uh, you made a marking gauge, which is uh, I think fairly early on, looks like it was about four years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, and if people wanted to see how hammer and chisel engraving happens, that is really, it's, uh, it's actually the main part of the video. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Let's see. And then, uh, so also they're not very, did, not very good engravings, but well, <laughs> well, that I was going to bring that up that in four years, your, your engraving has improved quite a bit. One of the particular things I liked about the march, the marking gauge episode is that at the very end, and actually at the end of most of your videos, you go through and you show the project and you talk about how it could have been better. You talk about what worked and what didn't work. I, I think in general, I think my listeners would really get a lot out of watching your videos. Uh, yeah. I, I, well, the thing is I start to do that less and less because... Uh, which is unfortunate. Maybe I need to start and uh, or make more videos or start another channel. But YouTube really, well, viewers, I suppose. Uh, there, are, I'm sure there's a lot of viewers that really like the to have uh, the little dialogue that I give at the end of the video. But most of the videos, or at least when it comes to the algorithm, uh, this is where the video starts to drop. Uh, oh, really? Statistics. So it's not very beneficial for for the video itself. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, so I, yeah, uh, yeah, I know, yeah, for sure. So I'm uh, I'm thinking maybe I need to reserve that like many other YouTubers do to reserve that to another channel or another video which will not uh, affect the ratings of such. One of the things that I preach on this show is that looking at what you're doing and being honest about the successful parts and the parts that aren't successful, that's one of the most important parts about being an artist on anything. And and the fact that you included that on your videos, I think, was really important. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it was also a big part of uh, how I do all of this stuff because, uh, like you said, I'm, I'm kind of figuring it out with the viewers in the videos. Uh, and I'm never... I never assume myself a professional in anything that I'm doing, <laughs> uh, but I just like to to try everything. Uh, I think that's uh, almost the the key feature of my my channel is that I try a lot of lot of things, even though I don't know anything about them, and I still don't do, do <laughs> a large portion of the stuff. 
but you're using your common sense to get through it. And I'm sh- maybe there's videos that you're not showing us where it doesn't work, but every video I've watched, you end up with a final product that you can at least, you know, show the viewer and say, hey, here it is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's why these type of stuff can live mostly on YouTube because YouTube, the videos are the business portion because, and they, the art pieces themselves, well, you can argue that they, the art pieces can also be sold or what have you, but uh, the, the YouTube really gives a platform to make the stuff I make uh, not for a customer or not for a particular individual. Uh, and therefore, I can experiment and do fun stuff and do things that don't work or I can learn. And Absolutely. So speaking of fun stuff, let me mention some other things that I've really enjoyed. And as a matter of fact, I'm just going to tell everybody my absolute favorite thing that I've ever seen you make, and that's the hand-powered circular saw. I don't think I've laughed. Okay. I don't think I've laughed as hard at anything as I laughed at that. It's uh, if people haven't seen that video, they need to go and watch it right now. Uh, how much fun was that to make, and and did you ever find a use for it? Uh, well, it didn't really work in the end. Right. That's the problem. They yeah. didn't have enough power. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, wow, it, it, actually, it's an old video, so I don't remember almost anything about the process of well, making it. The the piece I really like yeah. making the pigeon. The piece itself <laughs> is absolutely beautiful, and it's it's a it's a thing to behold. Like those scissors I mentioned earlier, that if you used them, they would cut your thumb off. They're just beautiful to look at. You know, I wouldn't want to use them. So, uh, yeah. Now speaking of pigeons, uh, another one of the videos of yours that I really liked is. Uh, you made your own belt buckle, and it's a very useful video for people who want to make a belt buckle. And one of the ways that it's useful is that uh, the end result is that it was engraved upside down, which is something I'm afraid of every time I mess with a belt buckle. So could you tell us a little <laughs> right. bit about that project? So, yeah, I made the belt buckle with the pigeon in the middle. Uh, and pigeon, since actually... Uh, Pigeon is my logo, basically, and and uh, uh, now it's an upside-down pigeon. And it started off when I made a book about pigeons, a book about uh, black and white pictures of pigeons that I've done as the final project for my art school. And since then, pigeons became kind of my theme, in a way, and became my logo for the YouTube channel. And when I made the belt buckle, I uh, made it so, yeah, it's really uh, easy to do if you don't keep track that the, there's one side, there's a latch, and the other one, there's a, a hook to hold the, the leather inside. And I just didn't notice, and I engraved the pigeon upside down. And so if you put the belt from left, left to right, or right to left, whatever, uh, you can obviously put the belt... Uh, in the other direction, when you put it in the rings in your pants, and then the pet, the pigeon would be the right way up, right? Right. But uh, but that doesn't work. That <laughs> the no. belt needs to go the, That's too the one way. It's too so, dangerous. Too dangerous to do it. That yeah, way. exactly. <laughs> so after that, I decided. Oh, you know what? I will, instead of um, doing a new belt buckle or replacing the latch, put the latch on the other side or something like that. I decided to change my entire logo and make the the pigeon an upside down pigeon for the well. I think that's yeah for a, the love of my channel. It's an <laughs> excellent move. So, uh, like I said, you make videos where you like, for instance, you you carve you hand carved a, some wood to to make a replica of a shoe, and then you put a Wi-Fi speaker into it. It's just there's no telling what you're going to do. However. Uh, and interest, what would interest the people that are listening to the show is that you have videos that are strictly about making your own engraving tools, such as uh, you have one called Make an Engraving Starter Kit. You have one called How to Make a Push Graver. Uh, right. I must be forgetting some other ones. But, oh, and don't let me forget, I want to talk to you about when you made your own uh, Lindsay-style engraver. 
So when True, yeah. <laughs> when did you when did you start engraving uh, and how did you uh, how did you get started in it? Um, so I one of my favorite out <laughs> out uh, pieces to see to watch is to go to museums uh, specifically with items from the Renaissance uh, and. Uh, Neoclassicismus and Rococo and all of the Baroque, all of this kind of uh, eras. Uh, I really love love the the all sorts of uh, uh, like items they they make. Most more often than not, they have rifles and guns, and they are super intricate and very uh, uh, very heavily engraved and inlays and sculpting and metalwork and. Uh, there's so much effort put into it, and I love this kind of stuff, and I always was inspired. And I've decided, you know what, I, let's watch uh, online and see how you do this kind of stuff, because this can, uh, engraving particularly, is, it looks very frightening in the beginning. You're like, how, there's no way, like, especially, especially working with metal without machinery, it sounds like ludicrous, <laughs> if you don't know anything about metalwork. And I was like, you know what? I really want to do that. And I want to try and... And I checked and I, and I was like pretty surprised in the beginning. I, I saw that, okay, you you need a pointy thingy and a hammer and you just <laughs> go go to town, right? Yeah. Uh, the fact of the matter is that, yeah, it's, you can make dents in wood, pretty in metal pretty easily. Um uh, but uh, I figured out pretty quickly that uh, <laughs> the 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 details are what makes the, the what's it called the heart is in the details or something like that. Well, um, <laughs> we can go with that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so anyway, I realized that okay. In the beginning, I was really discouraged. I'm like, there's no way. It looks terrible. But then. Let me go on a small tangent. Okay. There's a snooker coach uh, on YouTube. Uh, I, I think it's called Barry something. I forgot. A snooker, uh, like it's like billiards, right? Okay. And um, <laughs> I, it's already the second time I mentioned snooker, but can you tell <laughs> that I really like this sport? I didn't see but that's anyway, something I didn't know about you. So please go on. <laughs> so anyway, he says something that I really take to heart, and I think it applies to everything. He says. When you want to practice something, like practice makes perfect. But the thing is, there's like bad practice and good practice. And he said one of the things you need to teach yourself or to practice correctly is you need to put yourself in a position where you make small wins, right? Because if you continue to miss the ball because you, you, you try uh, shots that are way too hard, you don't you don't train your brain, you don't train your muscle memory, and you don't uh, progress at all. Like maybe a little bit, but but not really. So you need to create yourself small wins, and I think this is the key thing that got me moving forward with engraving. Is that in the beginning I felt like this is impossible, and I just want to let it go. This is for professionals that you need to learn for years, which you kind of do, but uh, you can still get really satisfying results rather quickly as long as you give yourself like easier things to do in the beginning, is what I'm saying. I think that's excellent advice, and and it's also the first time that anybody has mentioned a snooker coach as being their engraving inspiration. So I'm glad we're having some firsts on the show today. Uh, videos were you watching when you started uh, engraving? Anybody in particular? Or do you remember? Uh, the thing is, I haven't seen so much uh, engraving videos because it's... There, there won't... I mean, there are a lot, but they just show engraving and mostly they are with air gravers. Right. Uh, the power gravers. And, and uh, hammer and chisel, there's like 
one from Semelfano, right? His yeah. name is? Yeah. And uh, it's a really quick demonstration, but uh, uh, quite quickly he's telling you, yeah, you, if you want to continue, you should buy the, the <laughs> online course. Right. And I never did that, but to be honest, the money that he's asking is probably can be quite uh, worth it's worth the cost. for your buck. Yes, yeah, worth the good. cost, probably. But I, I still, I never, uh, I never <laughs> bought any of his courses. Uh, but yeah, other than that, there weren't many videos that I've watched uh, specifically in engravings. Engravings, I mostly had to uh, either learn from a couple of articles online that I could find, or basically, I don't like to read as much, but I've seen so some illustrations of the angles and uh, what do you need to the hill should look like okay. and uh, and things uh, of, uh, of the sorts and what kind of vices to get the videos that inspired me to continue and work and practice were videos not that didn't uh, deal with engravings in particular so for instance click spring was a huge inspiration for everything that i make uh, even though back in the day he had no engraving in his channel at all. Okay. Uh, but the fact that to see how he practices, to see how he uh, sets up the work, which is will always be completely not my go-to of, of setting up work because I'm, I'm way too impatient to do things like he does. Uh, <laughs> do you find that uh, your experience in sawing and filing and uh, sanding and hammering. Do you find all of that handwork has has really helped you out in learning how to engrave? You're, you're using the lessons from these other... Well, oh, and I've, I've left out the fact that you're a sculptor and, and what is engraving, but very small sculptures anyway. Do you find That's all, true. The, do you find all uh, that feeds into itself? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely I do, on the one hand. On the other hand, Engraving is still almost always a very different task than the rest. Somehow it's in a different category. Oh, really? Like it's it's in a totally like when I do lathe work or well, it, it's similar to carving to carving wood. That is correct. Like to carve carving wood and engraving, which is basically also carving, <laughs> but uh, uh, is. Are the are the very similar? However, they are very different to any type of task that I make because the lathe work, for instance, is all about um, order of operations, setups, clamping, things like that. And engraving, the setup can be uh, challenging sometimes. The set like to clamp the to hold the piece can be difficult but usually it's pretty straightforward and then the engraving is is a, a pretty long process of doing i wouldn't say the same thing but uh, very similar like in the same atmosphere right and uh, any other things that i do except carving is is not like that at all so engraving of course is two well scroll work engraving is two different things you've got the designing of the scroll and the cutting it which do you prefer the design or the cutting uh, good question you mean not carving like really like three dimensional carving like sculpting wood in oh, metal sorry no i mean uh, whenever i engrave like scroll work or or engraving some figure or anything like that well, here's, here's the reason I ask, is because even four years ago when you said your engraving wasn't very good, you still understood how the scroll work functioned. You you understood the flow of it, and you understood how the, the leaves come out of the backbone and everything. And now four years later, when your cutting is better, your design is also better. So I wondered how much of your art, your fine art background, has helped you in scroll design and and do you do you prefer designing the scroll work to go on your pieces, or do, or do you enjoy the cutting of your designs? Ah, uh, I see. Uh, when it comes to scroll work, I like the 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 carving itself, like to the actual engraving 
with the with the graver uh, and the design to design the skull works less so I would say and I feel like I still haven't really discovered my own uh, style version of, yeah. of style of score um, I'm pretty much going the standard uh, I don't even know how it's called exactly the no standard is good the 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 American yes uh, close between American and uh, English I suppose more American style I would say uh, I do love the German one, but the German is quite difficult to engrave it's and too, can look kind typed. of weird. Yeah, it's, it's too tight. Yeah. I'm I'm always surprised that you continue to do everything with relief engraving instead of learning a style that doesn't require any background removal. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't I don't know if uh, the background I'm 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 struggling with the background. I don't know what to do about that. Um, <laughs> the background the removal is. Is annoying and I cannot get the consistent uh, background until I discovered that the air graver that I made, which I don't, I don't think I'm going to use as much. Yeah, let's talk uh, about that. I, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, uh, just to drive the point home is that I found that the stippling to do the stippling work is absolutely incredible with the with the air piece. Because up until now, I did it by hand, just punching one uh, hole after another. Uh, and it always never looked consistent. The background didn't look dark enough. Or, and then when I used the, the pneumatic one, all of a sudden, it looked perfect. It looked really nice. And so in the next engraving, I would uh, uh, definitely uh, try and do that. And I think it would look much better. But yeah, uh, about the air graver, so... I tried to do the, to recreate. Well, I, I was contemplating on buying one, buying a cheap one from AliExpress, but I'm like, I do I really want to do that? And well, maybe, and maybe not. Uh, and I, I cannot afford, well, I can afford, but if, <laughs> I mean, it will take money out of other machines that I really want to buy. <laughs> Uh, and I want to save up for, but yeah, spending uh, I don't know a thousand dollars maybe on a on an air graver uh, piece and a machine and everything like that uh, would uh, and I don't even know if I want to use that or something. It's, it's something an endeavor that I didn't want to go anyway. Right. And uh, I thought, you know what? Let's first see if I can make my own one. And I looked online, and and they said, ah, you can, um, because the the common ones, the common air gravers, they use a pump which pumps and sucks air in very rapid succession, right? It, it pushes air through and then takes it takes it back, and so the piston goes back and forth or something like that, right? Correct. Uh, and uh, there is a hack you can do on a airbrush compressor that you can do, remove some valves and it will do that, right? It will do. And you only need to buy the piece, which is relatively inexpensive. Well, a, like a cheap uh, piece from uh, AliExpress you can buy for 40 euros and uh, that should work. And I did all of that in the video. I even showed it. And it, it's absolutely useless. You cannot, it doesn't work <laughs> at all. Maybe I don't, I've done something incorrectly. I don't know, but it's like, that, that doesn't work. So I thought, okay, you know what? Let's try and make, let, let's go with making my own thing. Uh, thing is, I cannot, uh, the pump is what costs the actual money. Or I don't know if it costs them, but it, the pump itself or the compressor or the, converter, whatever, is what costs the money. So let's try to avoid buying that. And the way to avoid buying that is to do the Lindsay-style air graver, which you can use any compressor since the back-and-forth action go uh, happens in the graver itself, right? Right. Uh, and so the way that it works is like a tiny steam engine, basically. So you shoot air in and the air pushes the piston, the air is being released, and then it cannot go anywhere but to take the piston back uh, to the rear end of the of the handpiece, and then it goes uh, on and on forever. Uh, 
so I try to do that. I mean, there are plans online, kind of, from like a, I think I found there is the patent itself, but there's also plans with the metric dimensions from a Russian dude somewhere that wrote, uh, that did it by himself. So I copied that. To a degree, I copied that. I trained a few things. And uh, in the end, it actually works. Uh, I mean, it worked okay. But I have to say that I think either um, I got the dimensions wrong, or it's not the original dimension or whatever, or either the efficiency of the piece is terrible, or it's just not up to snuff. And so, it I don't know, it didn't, didn't feel very significant. I don't know, maybe that's how it's supposed to be. Because it felt <laughs> like I had to still put... I, I expected the handpiece to just eat eat up the metal like I right. like it goes uh, and I and I actually I have no experience with the real air graver so maybe you can if you know <laughs> let me know if, uh, <laughs> if uh, when you air when you use a, a power graver does it you know uh, uh, makes curls like there's no tomorrow and you don't have to put a so much effort in it, or, or do no, you still it, have to? It is kind it's of effortless. It. It's no, it is effortless. And so, if you're having to, okay. if you're having to push it at all, then then it's not working right. Okay, interesting. Okay, that's good to know. I actually really didn't. I really wanted to know that because <laughs> because I felt like I had to. No, so it's not efficient. It doesn't work. Well, you know, no, there you have it. <laughs> it doesn't <so> work. <laughs> you're in a good position because you learned how to use. Uh, hammer and chisel for engraving and you know that when you're hammer and chisel engraving that you don't have to hit the the tool very hard to make it do its work unless you're you know digging very deeply and it's, it's yeah that's it's, absolutely that's true yeah and it's the same way with uh with a power graver it it's not having to work very hard to remove the metal and you know it, it's performing the same task it's just doing it for you the the hammering but, okay but, uh, that's okay what, in the United States, at least, uh, people will reach out to me and they say, hey, I want to start engraving. What would you do? Would you buy one of these cheap Chinese knockoffs or would you buy or uh, would you build your own Lindsay graver, Lindsay style graver? And I'm so glad you made that video because I can just show them uh, you know, the link to your video and they can go and decide for themselves whether it's worth it or not. And then they can watch one of your other videos where you're effortlessly tapping away with that hammer and getting the job done for not very much money. And as a matter of fact, they could watch another one of your videos and learn how to make their own gravers. So it's really, I think it's really handy. And uh, I, you probably didn't start off to uh, make a video that solved that problem for me. But the fact of the matter is it, sol <laughs> it solves that problem for me. Many times that I try to make my own tool, sometimes it totally works. For instance, making your own gravers, I think that that's uh, if you make hammer, if you hammer and chisel, uh, do hammer and chisel engraving. Uh, I think making your own gravers is a giving. Like you have to do that. So I, I don't know. Maybe you can buy. Ready? I have no idea. This is part of the deal: is making your own graver. Right. And. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, I try to make my own milling machine, tiny milling machine, and uh, I try to make a lathe several times. <laughs> and at some point I've realized, okay, he, here's the thing. It's, and it also comes back to what I said earlier. Am I making something? I'm not a professional tool maker. I'm not uh, a bomb or anything like that. So I'm not a professional tool maker. And therefore, if I want to make myself a tool, I should make, it should be something like a hammer, which is relatively simple. Or I have to invest in the tool if it's a professional, well-designed tool. I have to invest in because then it's not an art piece per se. It's a tool that needs to that I should not think about, uh, and it should provide for the art that I'm actually making. And that's something that I always learn again and again and again. Hey, I want to try to make this tool. Maybe I can make it. And, I, and I'm always glad that I am making it. But more often than not, the, the conclusion is, okay, now I've tried to make it. It doesn't work, and I don't want to, and it's a hassle to, to, to run it every time. 
this kind of stuff, if it's a tool to make art and not art by itself, it needs to either be bought <laughs> or, uh, I don't know, uh, or to go somewhere and, uh, and, and make it there. But uh, anyway, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I always realize. Like making a vice by yourself, for instance, can be nice, but sometimes you, you really need a high-precision <laughs> right. vice that is made in a factory. Well, very good. You recently did a video where you made some pieces for a museum. Could you tell me about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So there's a, a university in Brest, in France, where uh, there was a mathematician. I don't know why I'm laughing. Because it feels, I'm laughing because it feels uh, like <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, this whole project, I, feel, I felt always a little bit out of place. But anyway... Uh, there was a mathematician and uh, another person that was responsible for the uh, faculty in the university. And they reached out, they saw one of my videos, a couple of my videos, and they asked me to recreate two machines uh, from the 1700s, from the 18th century, uh, which are machines to, to make specific drawings, drawings and uh, mathematical curves, basically. And uh, they made a 3D sketch with all the dimensions, and they sent it to me. And they were like, "Okay, can you can you make that?" And I was like, uh, "Sure, maybe, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think so. It's not exact. Like, it was a real thing, right? A real accurate, like somewhat accurate piece to make, and." Uh, uh, I think at some point I asked him, have you ever watched ClickSpring? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if they have or, or if they they didn't. And maybe I'm sure that ClickSpring would be magnitudes uh, higher price, uh, uh, like much more expensive than, than what I would be um, and will take far longer. I, I had to do this project in like three months or so. Yeah, I think it's strange that you said you felt out of place doing it, where as the people who originally built these things, I mean, they, I bet they were very similar to you in that they were willing to give things a try and that, you know, they believed in their abilities to work with their hands. And so I, I think you're a natural choice to, to make these machines. But the video was very interesting, and I got a lot out of that one, too. Yeah, it was actually pretty difficult to make the video, and I'm I'm not hundred percent satisfied. I I actually made recorded the two of the mechanisms, and I was supposed to make two videos. However, I wasn't that satisfied with uh, because I was a little bit in a time crunch, and uh, I didn't have a lot of headspace to to do the video itself. So I felt everything was a little bit. Um, uh, awkward, should I say? Uh, and yeah, I mean, my take from that is that I I'm really happy that I have a, a thing that is going to go uh, to a museum in Brest or to to the university to the uh, exhibition center. And uh, however, this really went a little bit against my flow when it comes to <laughs> the projects that I make. Uh, and so I'm not 100%. <laughs> to be honest, I actually, at the moment, I'm working on another piece for uh, for uh, another museum in back in Tel Aviv, but I'm not going to, I don't know if I can talk about it. I think I can. Well, why don't you uh, come back and say anything about that? But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you can come so. on and talk about it. On, I do a news segment before the before each show, so you can come on and tell us when it's when it's time. Yeah, absolutely, sure, sure, uh, no problem. Yeah, uh, but anyway, yeah, it was. It anyway, in the end of the day, it, everything worked out and they looked great. I think they could have been more polished and nice in the end, but. Uh, but I'm pretty proud of how they look like, and they're going to come out with the video themselves soon, explaining everything, so they're going to also show my piece there. Excellent. So, we'll have to keep an eye out for it. Yeah. So 
Yeah, but that's that. In your career, what uh, what is uh, one project that stands out to you as as being your favorite thing that you've worked on? Um, so actually, it's one of my if, uh, popular, popular, if not the most popular video that I've done is the small automaton. Was like a man, the tiny engraving person, <laughs> and uh, and I really loved it because it involved everything. Like uh, it was small wooden carved uh, uh, person sitting on a brass piece with engravings and really three dimensional engraving, almost sculpted, and there were gears going on. Everything, basically everything that I know to a degree how to do is in this piece. And everything just flowed really nicely in this project. Uh, though I have to say, it's not my favorite looking piece. My, I think my favorite is the, I made the calipers. Oh, yeah. From brass. Yeah. Which I really, really loved. And I was really happy to discover that I can really sculpt in metal and make hands and legs and things like, like that. So I really loved it, and I really loved how it looked like. I think it could be better in terms of accuracies. Uh, <laughs> now, now I have a tiny, now I have a tiny milling machine, and I have a actually much more hefty lathe, which I'm really I just installed it today. It's like a Myford lathe, and I'm really happy about it. Uh, so I feel like if I were to tackle this again, well, I can say it about every point, but if I were to tackle this again, it probably be a little bit more smooth in action i see and do you ever yeah. do you ever go back and do things again or is once you've done it once the the thrill has gone out of it yeah pretty much no yeah. i cannot uh maybe it depends uh, i can always go back and do more hammers but probably not the same hammer <laughs> but not but a yeah, second yeah, not a totally second different. not a second astrolabe though no, eh, maybe not the same. Maybe a different one, maybe a bigger one. I want to make something in the spirit of an astrolabe, like a planetarium or like a globe would be cool. How cool. Okay, so that's your that's where you've uh, been successful. Has there ever been a time when the when the bottom just fell out and everything was a disaster? Well, there is the second lathe that I tried to make, which was Literally, I've done two cuts with it, and since then it's dismantled. Oh, gosh. I've never used it. Uh, and that was uh, when I realized I need a, a real lace. <laughs> I cannot. Uh, it, I always I have a, a, a terrible fascination with lace. I don't know why, because uh, I'm always not satisfied enough with their uh, uh, performance, and I always want a better one. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. I I always want I, uh, for years. I want to make one, and, I, and then I made one, and then I want to make a better one, and then I made a worse one, and yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was the product. It was like man, actually the video is not too bad, but the date itself is not not great. No. Um, other than that, yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, though. Like all the time, I have stuff that I'm making and they don't go anywhere, and I have to put them aside or do something else. Well, very good. I think. Well, I sure have enjoyed speaking to you today. If people want to see all the magical videos that you've made, there you can find them on YouTube. All you have to do is look up Yuri Tukman, which is U R I T U C H M A N. And uh, is there any message that you have for uh, for my listeners before we go? Yeah, don't don't be afraid to try anything. Uh, there's, there's lots of stuff to do with wood and metal that you don't need much, and you can already start doing that. I think that's uh, my take on on woodworking and metalworking for sure. Well, I think that's great advice. You've you've been full of great advice today. Thank you very much. So, I'll <laughs> let you, you go now. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Okay, goodbye. That was great. Bye. Well, I had a great time talking to Yuri. He is an artist artist for sure. 
And uh, if you don't follow his work, then you really ought to check him out. I assure you it'll be worth your time. Please don't forget, next Wednesday I will release my conversation with Roger Bliley all about the life and work of Firmo Fracassi. I think you will find it interesting. Uh, Mr. Bliley is a wealth of information, so be on the lookout for that. Thank you to my guest today, Yuri Tuchman. Thank you to Marius Mellaby for making the music. And thank you for listening. If it weren't for you, I'd be sitting here talking to myself. I will see you next time.